that your Bible pages are stuck together at the book of Daniel, well, you're in good company. Daniel is an apocalyptic book, along with Ezekiel, that speaks of things to come that have very many different definitions and very, diff- very many different beliefs about what's going to take place. Well, I want you to look at verse 9. Daniel chapter 7. I kept looking until the thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His clothing was like white snow, and the hair on his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with fire. Its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him, and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat, and the books were opened." The books were opened. And in verse 13 it says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming. And He came up to the Ancient of Days and came near before Him. And to Him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the people, nations, And men of every tongue might serve Him. His dominion is everlasting dominion, which will not be taken away, and His kingdom is one which shall not be destroyed. And then I want you to look down here at verse 22. And until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given in favor of the saints of the Highest One, and the seasons arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. Almighty God, this is Your Word. These are words of truth. They are words of life. They are ever true. They are ever pure. They are here to change each one of us. And Father, they are here to give us hope. This is the event that we read about in Scripture of when Jesus Christ appeared before the throne of God, having paid the penalty for our sin and you accepting it. This is the trial. And Father, even as I moved at the text, keep me focused simply on three words, ancient of days, that our hearts may be strengthened. And perhaps even as my own heart is filled with wonder at what I'm looking at before my eyes, we may have another opportunity to visit this text yet again. Speak, O Lord, and make your truth alive in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, when you think about the names of God, I have this book. You can tell it's an old book because the sulfur in the paper is coming out. I got this back when I was in seminary. This is every name of God and Jesus and the Trinity. And by the way, speaking of the Trinity, I believe that in the fall I am going to... I don't know if I'm going to do it on Wednesday nights or Sunday. Well, I probably will because I'm going to teach you the Trinity, which J.I. Packer says is the hardest thing to explain in the English language, the Trinity.
I'm going to take you through the characteristics of the Trinity and the systematic teaching of the Trinity, both in the Bible as it is laid out systematically and then the 20 places it's laid out chronologically in the Bible on the Trinity. So you can look forward to that. When you talk about, though, the names of God, there are so many of them. And the names that you think of, I'm sure, are the same as the ones I think of. And they are the names that are concrete names of God. We think of God in ways like uh, Jehovah. We think of God as Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rophi, Jehovah Shopheth, uh, Jehovah Tzidkenu. All these names, my banner, my righteousness, my holiness, my healer, all of those things. We think of that. And, and so let me, let me just show you something. Okay, just listen. And I'll, I'll actually format this and give this to you later. So don't try to write this down. But like in Genesis, God is called the God of Bethel, the Lord and judge of all the earth. He is the one that lives and sees. He is the Lord that will provide. Jehovah Roha. Okay, Rapha. Uh, in Exodus, He's called the Lord the Lord God of your fathers. He is called the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. He is called I am that I am. He is called the Lord God of the Hebrews, the covenant names, Jehovah, the Lord God, the God of Israel, the Lord my banner, Jehovah Tzidkenu. In Leviticus, for example, he's called, he's called uh, the Lord, uh, printed in capital letters and small capital letters of which no Jew will say his name. Um, it, it is the name that is given Yahweh, his name, that the American Standard Bible said Jehovah. Jehovah does not, that is not a Hebrew word. That's a made-up word from the word Elohim and Adonai. But it, it fits. It works. And uh, he's called the God of holiness. Uh, uh, in Deuteronomy, he's called the shield, the Lord of lords, the sword of excellency. Uh, Joshua, he's called the Lord our God. But it's repeated over and over again, the Lord, your God, the Lord, your God, not the Lord, the pastor's God, the Lord, your God. Hallelujah. In Ruth, in Ruth, he's called the Lord Almighty. That's where, what, what a wonderful study we had in the book of Ruth. And I thank the men that helped me. First and second Samuel, he's called the Lord of hosts. Uh, he's called Rock. He's called fortress, deliverer, shield, horn of salvation, things you can touch. In First and Second Kings, he's called the Lord, the Lord, the God of David. In First and Second Chronicles, he's called the Lord God of heaven. In Ezra, he's called the Lord God of heaven and of Israel. In Nehemiah, listen to this. Nehemiah, he is called the great, the mighty, and the terrible God. In Esther, there is no title. In Job, he is called the Maker, the Holy One, and the Preserver of Men. In Psalms, there's way too many to give you. But he's the Lord of hosts, the Shepherd of Israel, the Lord our Maker, the Lord our refuge, our strength, our habitation, our high tower, our defense. In Proverbs, He's called the Maker and the Redeemer. In the Song of Solomon, I, I think I, I'll, I'll stop. All of those names that I have given you are names that speak to God as 
a character as to what he does. But there's something that is interesting. The Bible also speaks of God symbolically. Symbolically. Those of us that are, and like you, that are of conservative biblical scholarship do not prefer to use terms that are symbolic. Because to use a term that is symbolic, it can mean one thing to somebody and another thing to someone else. For example, if I told you we're going to sing Amazing Grace this morning, and you turned in the hymn book to sing Amazing Grace, you would begin singing Amazing Grace. And Tanya, however, is playing Amazing Grace. My chains are gone, I've been set free. So when you start the second verse, she's playing, my chains are gone, I've been set free. You know what? We're singing Amazing Grace, but we're not singing off the same page. That's kind of how communication is in a home, isn't it? In relationship with people. We're singing the same stuff, just not off the same page. Right? So that's kind of like that. We're just, we're just kind of out of key or off key or out of tune or off beat. Well, we don't need to fear symbolic designations of God because there are symbolic designations of God and the primary designation of God is this word atik yomin ancient of days that's my favorite word for him and it's because of the story that takes place here in Daniel this is when the beast and Jesus show up to the throne the sin has been paid for and the armies of hell and the myriads and the hosts of heaven and the thousands upon thousands are there to witness the judgment of an aged old judge sitting on this throne and says, Devil, you lose. Jesus, you win. So if you really want to know what happened from the time that Jesus Christ died on the cross to the resurrection, go to Daniel chapter 7. Now there's folks and they're good people and they're friends of ours in the faith that are going to tell you this is all end time speculation. What's, uh, we learned a new word the other day, Wednesday night in church. We know our, 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 our Hebrew word, or our, our uh, Greek word is baloney. I don't know what language it was that Rick used. I know he wasn't speaking in tongues. It may have been Myron from Myra, but he said hogwash. Daniel 7 is an, is an act that's completed. And we're living in the benefit of it now. And just totally because of complete ignorance on my own part and messing up the printer, the very passage that I accidentally read this morning for the prayer of confession supports the Daniel 7 passage. That's just the superintending of God. What is promised by the Redeemer Christ in 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 through 9, is because of Daniel 7. I didn't even know that. So Holy Spirit, speak. Let me speak to you about this. The significance of this designation. The significance of this designation. This is a prominent feature within Scripture, is this idea that it appeals to us in ways that we can understand. And it is appealing to us in the way of clothing here in this passage when it talks about the garments. Um, it talks about His person. 
It talks about His precepts. The Bible is full and abounds with all types of symbols and emblems and, and uh, these striking figures of speech as helpful volume. As one says, they're called types. The ark, for example, Noah's ark is just a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. The spilling of the lamb's blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, or in the Garden of Eden, excuse me, was just a foreshadowing and a type of the blood of the Messiah. These are foreshadowings. These are types. These are things that take place. Too much is placed on the emphasis on end-time subject instead of present application to our life. Somebody asked me years ago, said, why do you not teach on prophecy? I said, because I am a pastor. I'm helping people get through the day. They're not concerned about the millennium. They want to know how to get through today because their day feels like the millennium. Will it ever end? I'm a pastor. That's what I am. I'm just a pastor. Another explanation can also be that God in His infinitude, in, his, in the infiniteness, His infinitude, He had to condescend to speak to us in a way we could understand. So He uses this expression of speech as the infinite God to us finite people. I'll give you a perfect example of how He has done this in the form of time. Time does not exist with God. There is no time. But He has given us time. He has given us time because time helps us understand, preacher, the church is over at 12. Okay? Let my people go. Amen? Okay. God be praised. Robert's buying lunch, by the way. So he condescends to our expression of speech. Now, I've got two big words for that, but I'm not going to use them. So that we can understand. God communicates in a way we can understand. And one of the ways he does this is for the purpose by using symbols. Using symbols to reveal his purpose, his being, and his revelation. And so you have, for example, uh, the prophets and our Lord had to speak to people in parables. Uh, Jesus does this in Matthew 13. And, and what was a parable? What were these stories? He didn't warn Matthew 13. What are these stories? Parables were nothing but heavenly stories with a heavenly meaning, just as a symbol are as windows letting in spiritual light. Now I want to say something in case you misunderstand what I just said. I believe every parable that Jesus told is an actual, real, historical event. Now there are good scholars who don't think that, that Jesus is using an illustration. I don't believe that. I'm going to camp out on the safe side and I'm going to say that, you know, there was a wicked servant and a more wicked servant, and they owed each other some money and this and that, and we hear the story. I'm just believing that what Jesus said was absolutely true. And somewhere this happened. I'm just, I'm, that's, that's just my position. And so he does this. But what I want you to get here and out of this is I want you to write down the word deity. D-E-I-T-Y. Everybody's got a deity. They're man-made God. For example, 
I've got a good friend that um, has a loved one, well, has some loved ones he wanted to take to the Ark Encounter. And one of, and the parent of these loved ones said, no, I don't want you to take them to the Ark Encounter. I don't want them to see that. And this person is extremely learned and extremely brilliant. And Kelly and I were talking about it yesterday because we love these people and we know them very well. I said, well, it's probably because he believes in the Epic of Gilgamesh. The what? The Epic of Gilgamesh. See, the story of Noah's flood isn't the only flood story. Did you know that? There's another flood story. It's completely pagan, but it verifies the flood story. But it's the Epic of Gilgamesh. And so therefore, because there's the Epic of Gilgamesh and the Bible's just a spiritual book and you can take it or leave it, then therefore... The reality then is, I'm going to take the safe side. I'm going to believe the Epic of Gilgamesh because after all that was written by men and the Bible's just written by men that are mystics. Okay? Well, that's where faith is. Well, let me tell you something about that. The people that wrote the Epic of Gilgamesh, they had their Baal too, their deity. So then what is the significance of the name Ancient of Days? What makes Ancient of Days appear only here in Daniel? And this book of the apocalypse probably I mean I don't think I've ever preached three sermons out of the book of Daniel in my career I mean my Bible stuck together there and uh, so what is what is this idea of the ancient of days well it has everything to do with deity the one true God with a capital D it is only found in Daniel 7 9 13 and 22 the ancient of days and so I want to describe the scene for you, and I'm going to give you some application about it. What is the grandeur that this deity, which Daniel repeats three times, what does it look like? Because he is enamored with it. He repeats it over and over again. I kept looking. Look at it. Look at your text. I kept looking. Can you listen to me? Look at me. When we walk into glory, this kind of gives you and I an idea. When we walk into glory, I, I, I mean, this is hitting me right now. It's like, man, I'm getting to heaven. I'm going to go look around. It's like getting on a cruise ship. You know, you go get on the cruise ship. You get on board, and the first thing you do or, or an event, some big place you want to go to for a holiday or something like that, you want to look around and see everything. Man, I get to heaven. I want to go see the crystal fountain. I want to see the golden roads. I want to see the the. I want to see if it's really a cube or not. I want to do all that kind of stuff. Are the gates really made of pearl? Or I want to see all the stones. I want to see all that stuff. No, I want to see Jesus. No, no. It says he looked and he kept looking. I get an idea that when you and I walk into glory, we are going to be starstruck. We're going to be staring at the one who sent his son, who in Daniel introduces him as the son of man. In this passage, we are going to be staring at the one who, the one who died for us, brought us to that throne. And we will be enthralled without fear. And he says, I kept looking we will be looking. 
we won't be looking around. We're going to be looking. We're going to see what the great hymn writer said when faith gives way to sight. And we will see Him. And it says here that this is great grandeur and the narrative describes this central throne that is seated there that's shaped like a chariot. And I'm not going to go into all of that. But it's shaped like a chariot. And, he, and, he has the, and it's so important that he sits there and he's thinking about it and he reveals that this chariot has wheels as burning fire upon which the judge who sat on that chariot its name is the Ancient of Days. The Atik Yomin. Yom is the word day. Yomin means days. That means literal day. But the ancients, the ancient of days. And so, he says, the prophet then has been outlining up to this part all of these empires that are taking place in, in, in the time of the prophecy. And in the midst of them and their deistic gods, he says that this Jehovah has been contrasted with everything that these four world powers have. They have nothing. Because there is a man, there is an image of an old, old man sitting upon an all-powerful throne from which fire comes around its sides and from, from its front, from its back to its side, four corners. And all of the empire... And see, when Daniel's speaking, this people are scared. What's he doing? He is pastorally speaking prophetically. And he is contrasted with all the deities that they worshipped. Of course, Daniel is in the court of who? Isn't it Nebuchadnezzar? Right? What was he? A Persian. Wasn't he? Well, he was a Syrian. Then they became the Persians under Cyrus. Some say Nebuchadnezzar and Cyrus the same person. I don't believe that, but Daniel was there 70 years and he was the prime minister. And so in the midst of all of this, and you think about what did Daniel get to do? There, there's another illustration I might tell you about looking. Uh, when Daniel, remember where, what, remember where Daniel was put? He was in the fiery furnace? No. The lion's den. Listen to me. Where do you think those lions were looking when Daniel was in there? They weren't looking at Daniel. They were looking up at the one that was going to take care of Daniel. And they sat there and they were looking and they decided, Meow. Meow. This was over. Maybe Daniel was seeing what he has already prophesied. There he sees the one on the throne. And he reminds us, you know, we're surrounded by lions. Does not the Bible say, brothers and sisters, that the devil is a lion roaming about considering those whom he may consume? Maybe you and I might ought to spend less time looking for the lions and start looking for the lion tamer. Amen? Because we have the God that is. His great name is I am the I am. 
He is your covenant God, Elohim. But he's also from before the beginning and after the end. He is the ancient of days. But there's more to it because what Daniel is seeing is he is seeing an image he can relate to. There is this concept in theology you need to all write down. It's called the imago, I-M-A-G-O. Imago, new word, Deo, D-E-O. Deo, imago, Deo. It means the image of God. The image of God is what you have. Every one of us carries the imago Dei. Jesus Christ taught the disciples this when He told them to get a coin out of a fish's mouth. Remember they were going by and they didn't have any money to pay the taxes? The tax collector was Matthew at the time. Jesus looks around Judas who's, you know, skimming off the top. They don't have any money to pay. And He says, go down there and find you a fish. You'll see a coin in its mouth. And they go down there to the Sea of Galilee, right there on the north end, right at the tip of the Sea of Galilee on the north side, you can, you can actually go where this toll booth was. And they get this coin, and Jesus says, whose image is on the coin? And they say Caesar. And of course, they're good Republicans. They don't want to pay taxes. Right? Amen? They don't want to pay taxes. And so, Jesus says to them, look at me, he says, whose image is on the coin? They said Caesar's. Then he says, render under Caesar what is Caesar. And then he says something else. He says, and you, render under God what is God's. Now the disciples were a dull lot. They're probably all from West Texas. Okay? They were dull. Probably around Big Spring. They're dull. Sand Spring, actually. God doesn't even know where that is. Uh, over there in Big Spring. I had the loony farm out there when I was in high school. The problem is they closed it before I could get in. <laughs> we always said when you go to you go to go to uh, you go to Big Spring. Hey, there's the loony farm on the hill. That's the loony farm. It's still there and it's closed. I never got to go inside, but I should have. The disciples were a slow lot. They didn't understand what Jesus meant when He said, Render unto Caesar what is to Caesar, and render unto God what is unto God. But we do know what He meant. The image, the imago Caesare, is on the coin. The coin belongs to Caesar. The imago Dei is on us. We belong to God. And Daniel sees God in the way we see each other symbolically as a man, as an old, old man. And so the word is this. He sees the Hebrew word here means, that's a word atik, means ancient, or the word ancient means advanced. It is, means old to be aged. And it is not meant... Now listen to me very carefully what I'm going to tell you because this is a symbolic statement. It is not meant to suggest the existence of God from eternity. That is mentioned over and over and over again in His characteristics. This is a symbolic image of God. 
Okay, so it's not denying anything. It's what he is seeing. He is seeing it in the present. He's not looking at it as a theologian. He's not looking at it as a person that studies end time, eschatology. He's not looking at, at it at, in pneumatology as a spirit he, or bibliography or anything. He's seeing it in present real time, the way he sees it. And what does he see is this venerable, listen, this venerable appearance of old age that the best way to say it instead of saying very old man is ancient of days. And it is, it's an attribute expressing this idea. Now listen, because I want you to write this down. We talked about the word deity, ancient of days equals judge. Judge. Now when we hear people talking about God and the pie in the sky, cloud nine, we see God in, they, that are in pictures that are clearly violations of the Second Amendment. Uh, we see pictures of God where, where He looks like an old man with white hair and you know, all this kind of... I mean, George Burns. Some of you are old enough to remember George Burns. Some of you have no clue, youngsters, no clue who George Burns was, but he was one of the great comedians. But he played God many times with a big old stogie in his mouth. And uh, there was, it was before there was, what were those movies that had uh, the other one, that, uh, the new ones? Huh? You can talk louder. The, Steve Carroll's in them. Steve Carroll, or Carroll, the office dude. Evan Almighty. You see those things. And you see Morgan Freeman playing God. And all that. Morgan Freeman can play anything, but he can't play God. Okay? And, uh, uh, and probably I'm not woke enough because I just said that. And, uh, but I am very awake. Um, so I want you to understand. We'll edit that out if I turn this on. It implies this very old judge. So look with me at Psalm 55. Go to Psalm 55, or you can write it down. So we've got this idea now that this Ancient of Days is the deity like none other. He is completely contrasted with all other opposing views and that he is seated as this ancient judge, this aged judge. And in Psalm 55 verse 19, it says these words, God will hear and answer them, even the one who sits enthroned from of old. And then it says Salah. Salah means stop and count to five. Because they do not change and do not fear God. In this passage, there's, there's a context here. But I just want you to see this idea. The psalmist writes of God as a judge seated upon the throne. In the great Old Testament scholar Kyle and Delich, they say what Daniel sees is not the eternal God himself, but an aged man in whom is a dignified and impressive form in which God chooses to reveal himself to this prophet. A dignified and impressive form. I remember years ago with Kelly and the kids going to the Supreme Court. And you could walk around. This. Many of you, I'm sure, have been to the Supreme Court. I would like to put together a heritage trip 
to Washington, D.C., a Christian heritage trip uh, for those that could do it and do it on a good budget and, and take you in the Supreme Court. You now have to get tickets to go in. You see, you walk in. The only thing you can't do is pray on its steps, uh, but you can protest. But uh, it's a magnificent building, and you can go into the courtroom itself. You can actually go and listen to the Supreme Court justice, and it's awe-inspiring. And when you consider when you consider that there are hundreds of thousands of federal cases decided every year in this country, there are only usually 70 cases that go to the Supreme Court every year. And we listen to these radio show hosts and they think they know the answer. And these are the smartest jurists in the whole planet dealing with the hardest cases that ever existed. And what we should do is pray for them. And sometimes they're going to get it right and sometimes they're going to get it wrong. But they're an authority because when they talk, we do. Right? And I cannot imagine the threat they live under. One of them just this last year, somebody broke into their house. Brett Kavanaugh's home tried to kill him. And what's even worse, that there's good Christian people that would have been glad to have seen him gone. The reality of it is here, but I'm going to tell you, when you go, here's the thing that's impressive, and I remember this with Kelly. They have the busts, the statues. You know, I don't know how Mozart ever played the piano. I've seen his bust. He's only this, this, like this. I mean, I don't know how he could play the piano. He had no hands. He's just a bust. Some of you don't get it. They thought Mozart was a success. No, he was a bust. And so he's just this much. How did he write the music? Ah, you're laughing. Alyssa got it. You're as pink as your mother's shirt. And uh, um, they have all the busts of the former Chief Justice John Warren uh, uh, going all the way back to the ones that led Bible study in the early Supreme Court below the old Capitol building in Washington where the first act of Congress was to present 20,000 Bibles to the public school system. Very first act of our United States Congress. There is an awe-inspiring moment. Now, you don't feel that way when you walk by the judges that did Roe versus Wade. Kelly was like, chop the bust. But we didn't want the Capitol Police to get involved. And so, true, it was already sticking bubble gum under the staircase, so we didn't, we didn't want any more trouble. But there's this awe-inspiring moment where you see these aged judges that have done these uh, Brown versus the Board of Education. Done these, these amazing rulings that have changed the course of history and for the most part brought about the best of our lives and brought about this great union that's still a light on a hill to the world. We were in Frisco the last few days. We were like the only white people. Kelly, we went to the Stonebriar Mall. We went to all these places, Indian, Arab, uh, Asian, Caucasian, Texan. We were the minority. Why does everybody hate this country when everybody's trying to get here? It's because everybody doesn't. Everybody doesn't hate this country. Make sure you separate the government from the people. There is a difference. And that flag flies for the people, not for the government. I'm, I'm on a war path on the flag, I'm sorry. So God has done, so there's this awe-inspiring thing. He sees this judge. And the one Ezekiel saw on the throne, now I'm mentioning Ezekiel now. Ezekiel is the other book. 
He saw on a throne like a sapphire stone upon which there was, listen, in Ezekiel 1.26, it gives us some light. It says, in the likeness as the appearance of a man. And the likeness in the appearance of a man. Not a man, not like a man, in the appearance of a man. Example, I can go out here in a moment, except at high noon, I can stand outside and my shadow will be cast. You can say that is an appearance of a man, but it is not a man. It's the appearance of one. So this is what he sees. Ezekiel gives us some idea of this judge. In his writing, he says, as one in the likeness as the appearance of the man. And this same prophet in Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 12, write it down, Ezekiel 8, 12, says he refers to him as the ancients of the house of Israel. Now that's a, that has total covenant ramifications, which is for another subject. As the likeness as the appearance of man... And he says, as the ancients of the house of Israel. Now in Jeremiah 19.1, above, above the fleeting phrases of life, there sits one who remains eternally the same. Jeremiah 19.1, the one who is the same and never changes. In Psalm 90, go over here, let's look at those. Psalm chapter 90, because David, David, he got it. He just got it. Well, got, he got it from the Holy Spirit. Look at Psalm 90 with me. Now, the reason I, I'm having you turn here because we only have three mentions of the Ancient of Days. So we need some Bible texts to help us understand this, to see it as it is. So, in, in, for example, in Psalm 90, verse 1, 2, and 3, look what it says. Lord... You have been our dwelling place from what? Generation to generation. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, ever from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man back into dust and say, look at this, return, O sons of men. Where does the phrase son of man come from? Daniel chapter 7. What's in Daniel chapter 7? The only mention of this one from everlasting to everlasting. The one who appears as a man. The one who is the ancient of days, who is the father of who? The son of man. But in this, he talks about the sons of men. The saved. Look at something else. Go over here with me to Psalm 102. Psalm 102, verses 24 and 27. Psalm 102, 24 through 27. It says, I say, my God, do not take away. Do not take me away in the midst of my days. Your years are from generation to all generations. Of old you founded the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. Even they will perish, but you will remain. And all of them will wear out like garments, like clothing. You will change them and they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will not come to an end. Blessed is the ancient of days. It says that his hair is being white and pure as wool. And it speaks of its owner of that hair 
as being one who is holy and venerable. When I shaved my hair off here a while back and it started growing back, I noticed here a while back I was starting to blonde. And I have white hair. I don't have blonde hair anymore. So I asked him the other day at the sheep shears, I said, would you please use some purple goop on my hair and take that yellow out? And they did. But that just speaks of my own contaminated, corruptible body of white hair, gray hair yellowing. Purple shampoo will fix that. This one who sits on the throne does not use purple shampoo. His hair is pure as white as white. And it mentions here him being as this one who is holy and venerable. And then you find this. In Revelation chapter 1 verse 14, just write it down. And it coincides here with John's vision of the glorified Jesus whose head and hair, listen, were white, were like wool, as white as snow. Now what will we be made like? Whiter than snow? Yes, whiter than snow. And then it mentions this dazzling raiment covered in this white, beautiful hair, suggesting this eternal being of age and this long existence of this honorable occupant of this throne that has decided the fate of everything in his own breath, before whom there is an innumerable amount of people standing there before him in awe and in adoration. These are not, brothers and sisters, are these not the very characteristics of Jesus Christ? As the one who is known in the revelation as the same yesterday, today, and forever. Daniel depicts this here and identified as they are in action and in character. It's not easy so much to distinguish between is this the Father or is this the Son? But the text does it for you because it talks about one proceeding out. Who is that? The Son of Man. What was the Son of Man? Jesus' favorite name to go by. The Son of Man. In John's description, it has this picture, just like Daniel does, where the head is uncovered. And the attributes of the person in question are not official or relative glories, all of that, but they're found right here in Revelation 1.16. It says, well, I want you to look at it. It's just too important for me to read it and you not look at it. Revelation 1, 13, 14, 15, 16. Of course, in verse 9 it says, A vision of the Son of Man, beginning in verse 13, And in the middle of the lampstands I saw one, like the Son of Man, clothed in a robe reaching to the feet and girded across his chest with a golden sash. And his head and his hair were like wool, like snow, and his eyes like flames of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, 
when it, was, when it has been made to glow in the furnace, and his voice was like the sounds of many waters. And having in his right hand seven stars and a sharp two-edged sword which comes out of his mouth, and his face was like the sun shining in its power. And I saw him, look, and I saw him, and I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me saying, Do not fear, I am. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore and ever. And I have the keys to death and to the place of the dead, Hades. Therefore write these things you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after these things. And the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand the, and, the, and the seven gold lampstands are the seven stars or the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands, the seven churches which are to follow in the next two chapters. Brothers and sisters, I want you to contrast what Daniel saw and what John saw. No one loved Jesus Christ more than John. Mary knew him better, but no one loved him more than John. John knew what Jesus looked like. John was probably the youngest disciple. He was probably the butt of all the jokes. He was probably 14 when he came. He and his brothers were Irish. They were sons of thunder. They liked to argue. They had a contentious mother that wanted him to be first in the kingdom, you know, trying to be a helicopter mom. James and John. So Daniel sees this appearance of the Ancient of Days, and he stands and he stares. John doesn't do that. John sees it and he falls like a dead man. Because there's a difference. Daniel saw the vision. John saw the Savior. He saw him called himself called, he saw the miracles, he saw the raising of the dead, he saw the trial, he saw the crucifixion. Only him, him and the women. And in it fitting that Jesus looks down at the cross and says to his mother, not disrespectfully, woman, behold thou thy son. John, behold thy mother. Jesus on the cross in his suffering moment was so sensitive in his mother's love that she gave the one who knew him the best to the one who loved him the most. And John took care of Mary the rest of her days. The difference between the two visions is the crucifixion and the resurrection. And you see a picture of that in Daniel 7 where the Son of Man comes. Just look at it. 
I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm about to be raptured out of the room. And look what he says in verse 11. Then I kept looking because of the sound of the great boastful words which the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was killed. Who's the horn? The devil. And its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire to burn forever. And as for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was given to them for an appointed season of time. Where is that season going on? Right now. And I kept looking. I look, I'm looking, and I keep looking. There's a grammar lesson right there. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, there was one like the Son of Man. And he came up to the Ancient of Days, and he came near before him. Now, now Daniel is fixed on this. And the Son of Man comes up to the Ancient of Days. He comes up to the... Does, does Daniel know this is Jesus Christ the Messiah? Absolutely not. He has no concept of that in that day. Now there are those that will tell you he did. He did not. The revelation of Christ has not taken place yet, but the groundwork for the revelation is taking place of Jesus Christ, which I'm going to fulfill this in just a moment as I finish. And I kept looking, and one like the Son of Man was coming. He came to the Ancient of Days, came near Him, and to Him was given the dominion, was given to Him the glory, and was given to Him the dominion, the kingdom, and then was given to Him that all the peoples, nation, men, every tongue and tribe might serve Him. And His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not be taken away, and a kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Listen to me. This is the fulfillment of the eternal covenant of redemption that was planned before the creation of the world. You are reading that right here in a news blurb. This is what it looks like. World without end. Amen. Amen. And so what takes place? Here we see when Christ as the Son of Man appears before the Ancient of Days, He is crowned King by the One who can crown Him, the Judge. Now think about that. Who does the crowning in this country? Well, We don't have a King. We're Americans. We told King George back in 1775, we're going to seek our independence in 1776. We fought for it because we're not going to have a king. But you can't have a president unless you have a chief justice. Because a chief justice, the Constitution says, is the only person that can swear in the President of the United States of America. No one else can do it. He is also the only person in the United States of America or in the universe that can sit on the trial as judge at an impeachment trial, which invalidates the second trial of the former President because the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court recognized it was a farce. Isn't it not interesting to you that it is a lawman, a man of the law, 
a judge, the chief jurist, that swears in the President of the United States of America. And what you see take place on the Capitol is not the actual one. It has already happened by that time. Because they have to transfer nuclear codes, they have to do everything. I mean, you just don't become president and boom, you know, okay, I'm president. Okay, call Air Force One, fire the pilot, I'm going to go fly it. The Secret Service is going to come over and say, Mr. President, President Bubba, you can't do that. I can't. I'm the President of the United States. No, sir, you can't. You still have to follow the law. Well, other presidents haven't. Well, you're going to start out right. And we paid a lot of money to Boeing for that airplane. So just enjoy it. Right, Ron? You go help me fly it. Kelly will be the chief flight attendant. Here the judge, the Ancient of Days, crowns him with many crowns. The Lamb upon his throne. Is it not fitting? And see, when you understand the concept of the covenant, not the concept of the dispensations or the economies of time that you've heard for the last 150 years in American preaching, holy and completely American religion, when you look at the eternal historical Christian perspective, you see that what God planned in the beginning was this. Look at me. God said, I'm going to create the Trinity in, its, in the Godhead. The Trinity said, we will create a creation that's going to fall because we're going to give it free choice. And it's the only time they'll have it because they will not be stained by a sin nature. Adam and Eve had no sin nature. They had only one rule to follow. Don't eat of that tree. And God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit all agreed that they would do that. And they would fall of their own accord. And that at that meeting, Jesus Christ agreed that He would become the Redeemer of the fallen whom the Father would give Him. As it says in John chapter 6. And so anyone, the whosoever will believe, Jesus said, I will redeem. And so Jesus Christ then comes to earth through all of history at the right moment, at the right time, cleaves AD, B.C. to A.D., right in the middle, right down the middle, and redeems those that were saved, being saved, will be saved. Then... He appears here in this and you see that what is taking place here is God fulfills the promise that goes back to the eternal covenant of redemption. And that is this, Son, you redeem them, bring them to me, and as your reward, I will give them to you and they will be your people. That's what you're reading here. Some says this is about Magog and Bagog and Bagog and whatever Gog. China, Russia, Africa, the end times. Go listen to John Hagee preach about this. You won't hear this. Go listen to Tommy Nelson preach it. You won't hear this. No pastoral perspective. This is great comfort because you know what this tells me? You can write over here, Ancient of Days, I told you, deity, watch this, deity, judge, one other word, tetelestai. What is tetelestai? It is finished.
I don't even have that on this page, folks. That's just pure unction. Tetelestai. It is finished. Daniel chapter 7 is speaking to us here about an event that's finished, that took that he wrote about before it happened. And now we look through the New Testament lens all the way to the back of the Bible and we see, wait a minute, we know this has happened. Because we read it in our Old Testament, we read it in our New Testament. Go to Revelation 14, 14 and I'll finish. I'll be done. I'm going to finish right now. Revelation 14, 14. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And sitting on the cloud was one like a son of man, having a golden crown on his head, and a sharp sickle in his hand for the reaping of the redeemed. The Ancient of Days, positioned with splendor and girded with praise. We've seen that. Now we know why. He is the one true God. He is our one true God. He is the one true judge. He is the one true image that has embossed upon us his image because He loves His creation. You all wonder why doesn't He just wipe us out? The answer is the cross. The answer is a pastor praying every Sunday the same five prayers on Sunday morning, the salvation of men because He's still building His kingdom. And the last thing is the work is done. And here's the deal. We had the song to sing. I wrote it backwards last week in your deal on the song sheet. But let me just read it. That's one phrase to you. I love this. Because this will tie it together for you. Daniel standing before the judge, is he not? With every breath, I long to follow Jesus. For he has said that he will bring me home. And day by day, I know He will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne. It's finished, friends. The judge is not our enemy. He is our God. He has crowned His Son, the Lord of Lords. And He has given us as His inheritance, incorruptible, unfading, unperishable and everlasting. Praise God, the ancient of days. Let's stand and close.